Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mother Knows Death presents External Exams with Nicole and Jemmy. On today's external exam on Mother Knows Death, we will be talking with an FDNY battalion chief whose name is Jeff Fascinelli, and he is going to talk to us about some of the stories we've been talking about in the news the past couple of weeks. The two of the stories that we have talked about, one of them is that there was a lithium-ion battery fire on an airplane from a portable battery charger. And another one that happened more recently is that three generations of a family were killed as a result of a lithium-ion battery fire in New York City. So we thought it would be great to talk to someone that actually goes to these fires. So hi, Jeff. How are you? Hello, Nicole. Thank you for having me. I'm good, thank you. Doing very, uh, very good. I appreciate the opportunity to come on to your show. I'm excited to uh, to have the dialogue today. And uh, yeah, thank, thank you for having me. Of course. And do you want to get into a little bit of where exactly do you work in New York? You're a battalion chief. Sure, absolutely. Um, so, so first, before we start, I just want to say that um, this uh, a little little uh, disclaimer that uh, today I'm I'm not giving an official. FDMY um, press conference. Basically, this is just my my uh, own um, views on things and my own opinion. It doesn't necessarily represent the FDMY, so I'm not speaking in an official capacity. Just a, a conversation between uh, Nicole and I today, uh, based on my experience working as an FDMY battalion chief. And um, yeah, I work in the Bronx, uh, the 18th Battalion. Which, if you look in the map, it's pretty much the center of the Bronx. We cover uh, the Bronx Zoo, Arthur Avenue, um, Fordham. Uh, part of Fordham University, like the housing for Fordham University. So in that area of, of the Bronx um, is where I work. Uh, and I'm in charge, uh, myself and the three other chiefs in the battalion, we oversee uh, six companies, three engine companies and three ladder companies in that in that general area, uh, administratively. And then we respond to fires and emergencies uh, in, in, in that area. Okay, great. So we are going to talk about mainly lithium-ion batteries today. It seems like as of right now, there's been at least 243 fires that have been caused by lithium-ion batteries. So assuming that you work in the city, you've been to a few of these fires. There's been at least 93 deaths associated, well, fire deaths this entire year in New York City. Yes. And there's been 17 of them that have been associated with these lithium ion batteries. So can you first explain to us, for those of us that don't really understand, because honestly, I don't 100 percent understand, what is a lithium ion battery? Sure. So uh, in the early 90s, you know, technology is always evolving. Right. And um, we've always had like uh, if you were a kid, like you grew up in the 80s, you had like remote control cars. They were like uh, different type batteries and they would last a shorter amount of time. So um, like my kids now have remote control cars and they last a long time. Like, geez, I wish I had that when I was a kid. So what's the big difference is the technology and the batteries. Uh, the lithium ion is the type of 
uh, technology, the type of uh, chemistry basically they use, uh, graphite and silicone, all these different types of metals. Um, and they create a battery that's pretty efficient, has a high power output, um, is rechargeable, obviously, and um, also has a longer life cycle, meaning that when you plug something in and you use it for um, whatever it is, maybe your cell phone or your laptop or your remote control vehicle or your um, uh, cars like Tesla's or um, a scooter, it's going to last a long time between chargers, between charges. Um, and the life, the lifespan of, this, of the battery is more efficient, meaning that um, you know, the battery has so many cycles you can go through between charging and depleting the power and charging. It goes through so many life cycles. Um, these newer batteries, these e these lithium ion batteries last a long time. So you have like a longer calendar life as far as the actual life of the battery, uh, as opposed to the older technology. So they're, they're, they're very, uh, efficient and when they're made properly and they're, and they're tested to certain standards, they're, they're very safe and reliable. Um, the problem we run into is when people, uh, don't use them properly. Um, they don't care for them properly. They don't charge them properly. Uh, or they use them for a use that's not intended for their original use, like secondhand batteries. That's where we have a problem. So, um, and we can get into that today, but, um, you know, overall it's, 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 it's technology that's been advancing. And for the most part, they're, they're pretty good, but we're running into a lot of problems with them where they're not, you know, people aren't doing the right thing with them. Do you, I have been hearing on the news that the, that the FDNY has been putting out things about these, uh, about counterfeit lithium ion batteries what what exactly is that so there's a couple things with the counterfeits one is that um the batteries so like today is a perfect day because today's cyber monday right so um if you're shopping and you see something that like the cost looks too good to be true why is that why because it's probably not made to the safety specification in the united states meaning that um if you look at any of your household appliances either on the tag of the plug or stamped, like molded into the plastic of the actual appliance itself, you'll see UL, which is Underwriter Laboratories, right? That's a third-party testing agency in the United States that takes all these different things that are manufactured for consumer products, and they'll test them to certain specifications. They'll say, yeah, this thing meets a certain criteria, and it's safe if you use it in this particular manner, right? I mean, if as long as you use it, what it's prescribed to use is designed for, it should be safe. Can things happen? Of course, but for the most part, you're safe. When you buy things, uh, but you're going to pay for that also, right? The price of the, the uh, product's going to be higher because it's built to a different specification and it's tested by a third party, so it, it increases the cost. You want to buy something cheaper, that's great, but it's going to be made someplace else that doesn't meet the same safety specifications and doesn't have that third party testing. So you're kind of rolling the dice if, if it was done properly, if it, how it was built. So um, that's where you run into the, the counterfeit batteries. It's it's cheaper. So people want things quick today and cheap, right? I want to go on on a, online. I want to order something and spend 50 bucks. Okay, great. Well, I'm not going to spend 200 bucks on, on, on a good name brand quality one. I'll spend 50 bucks. It works the same. But does it really? Now you spend 50 bucks and you got an inferior product that's not going to hold up. Next thing you know, you have a fire in your house because it, it wasn't built to the right specifications. That's the one counterfeit. The second counterfeit is... People are buying cheap stuff and they're trying to trick the average consumer and they're buying UL labels, these stickers, which say, oh, UL certified, which is totally bogus. And you know, the fire department's caught on to that where you can go online and order them and they'll ask you, hey, how many do you want? Oh, yeah, I'll take a thousand of those decals. Okay, great. They'll print them up for you. They'll send them to you. And now you just slap this sticker on. So the average person goes to a store and looks at like, uh, it, it was big with the, um, the, the power strips for a while, yeah, the power strips you plug in. They'd put fake stickers on them and say, oh, this is good. It's UL, UL approved. Meanwhile, those are all bogus stickers they're putting on there. And you're buying 
a piece of junk, basically. And you have five things plugged into it. Next thing you know, it's smoking and overheating and you have a fire because, and that's, that's what like the power strips, that's how it started. Now they're doing it with these uh, batteries, these different devices. Um, and, and it's a problem. So they're onto it and they're, they're searching, they try to, to confiscate things and they're working. The FDNY is working with a lot of different agencies, um, consumer protection agencies, the trade commission where people, you know, and also people that are importing and exporting stuff from other countries. So there's a lot involved to it and there's politics involved, obviously, but, um, it's a big problem. So that's scary for that. This is why this is a problem then, because the average consumer, how would you, how would you really know? You know what I mean? Like if you order yeah. something on Amazon, I just had something like I, uh, Gabe will tell you about this. You're friends with my husband, by the way, who's yes. also a firefighter. That's how you guys know each other through leadership under fire. Absolutely. Um. So we're going to just make fun of Gabe this whole episode. But sure. <laughs> I bought, I bought a weed whacker for out front just because we have a really tiny lawn. And I just got like some little shitster on Amazon because I was like, I'm not going to, he kept saying, get get the DeWalt one. And I was like, no, I'm not paying for that. I'm just going to get this. I did. And I got this crappy one on Amazon that was only like 50 bucks. And he went up to me and was like, you can't leave that battery plugged in because these are the kinds that are a problem. Absolutely. Yes. Um, yeah, without a doubt. Like, you know, you get the DeWalt one, you're paying more for it, but the charger, you know, is it, it's, it's, it's definitely listed and labeled for its use. You'll look on there, it'll have a UL um um certification on there for the batteries and the charging unit itself the one you bought for 50 bucks probably doesn't will it work will you have a problem i mean it's probably it's going to work but you got to take more precautions definitely don't leave it charging because the kit it can't overcharge Whereas like the dewalt charges they'll shut off internally once the battery's charged it'll stop charging these ones you buy for 50 bucks who knows they'll just keep giving it power that's where you have a problem it overheats and uh you get that thermal runaway in the in the batteries they, the battery fails internally basically um yeah definitely that's why you know don't i wouldn't even charge it like in the garage charge it and then unplug it and keep it out you know keep it you know unplugged because you could have a problem with it absolutely so so i i think you're saying then maybe it's just like these off brands that are that are mostly of concern that that is a, a problem but uh it could be the name brands too because people use them so let's say you have that dewalt right and then the charger broke or there's a problem with it They'll buy like an off-brand brand charger or they'll use a charger that doesn't necessarily, it might fit, the plug might fit, but it not necessarily is made for that. So when they use different chargers that aren't made for the original tool, that's a problem. Um, or they'll, they'll, people take batteries apart and they'll use them and repurpose them into other things. That's a problem because it's not the original design. And like these safety standards are all predicated on the original design and use of that. So you, you buy something that, that weed whacker, right? It's designed for a specific use. If you take that apart and use the parts of something else, well, you kind of voided everything because it's not designed for that. Like a, a DeWalt one. Um, so that's where people run into trouble. And it happens a lot with these e-scooters and e-bikes because they use them all the time and they want to fix it themselves to save money. And they'll use parts from other things to, to fix them. Uh, and it's a, it's a problem. That's one of the problems. Yeah. Uh, I, it's it's <laughs> like, now you're scaring me a little bit. No, no, no. I don't mean to scare All these like little gadgets I have in the house and stuff. All right. So how long have you been an FDNY firefighter? So uh, this coming February will be 23 years. I was hired uh, in February of 01. So basically seven or eight months before 9-11. Okay. Oh, really? So you were working there during all that? I was. Yeah, I was. So I wasn't actually working that day. I was off off that day. Uh, that was a Tuesday morning. I worked on Sunday. I was supposed to go back in Wednesday, but we all got, got called in obviously that day. 
But I was uh, I was a probationary firefighter on 9-11. Yes, I was uh, I got assigned to a firehouse in uh, June of 2001 once we were done with the academy. And uh, that was in Harlem, 125th Street on the west side of Manhattan. That's where I was a firefighter. Wow. Well, next 9-11, we might have you back to talk about that because that's like a whole episode in itself. Yeah, and I absolutely. am really interested about that. Obviously, being married to a firefighter, I kind of tune a lot of it out because it makes me really upset. And I have a funny story that when I was like nine and a half months pregnant with one of my kids, Gabe was like, let's watch this documentary. I think it was the Steve Buscemi one about like all the firefighters that died on 9-11. And I was yep. like, that's the, the most appropriate documentary you should be watching with your wife, like as she's about to give birth to your kid, right? Typical firefighter thing. Yes. Yeah, we don't always think the, well, it doesn't. <laughs> all right. So you have uh, obviously like how many, how many fires do you think you go to on average like a year? So, obviously it fluctuates but yeah it fluctuates and um so like some some general numbers from from my battalion now the thing about my battalion is and like anything like gabe also uh, we're shift workers right so i'm only there 25 percent of the time because there's four of us there's four chiefs so we all rotate so i'm there a quarter of the time so number wise um my battalion a averages about 3800 calls a year 3800 just responses wow and out of that year, out of, out of that 3,800, um, I have written down here, about 20, I'm rounding, I'm rounding the numbers, about 2,600 of them are like non, uh, are, are, are non-fire emergencies. Um, so like gas leaks, car accidents, um, you know, water conditions, stuff like that. We go to uh, collapses, um, stuff with it that, that we go, there isn't actually fire involved. Um, or it could be like an automatic alarm or a carbon monoxide incident, stuff like that. Um, roughly about 950 of them are actual working fires. Um, but that encompasses everything that's including like car fires, um, um, you know, rubbish fires, dumpster fires, stuff like that. Structural fires where they're like, what we call an all hands where it's like a, you know, actual building on fire and, and like could be multiple alarms. We do about 200, a little over 200 of those a year. So divide that by a quarter and then it rough, you know, sometimes like it, it all comes in cycles, right? Sometimes on the, what we call the black cloud, like I worked a couple of weeks ago and I caught every fire and the other chief didn't catch anything. This past week they've had, they had, they had a couple multiple alarms. Uh, I missed them all. I didn't catch any of them. So it's all kind of the, I like to joke about the fire gods, right? If they're smiling on you or not. So this past week they didn't smile on me. I, I had all the gas leaks and car accidents and the other chiefs went to the fires, but that can easily change. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, and if so you're anything like stuff. Gabe, you get like bummed out when you miss the fires. It's I, it's I don't like, like it. Yeah, I come in like oh, I missed. Like I worked, <laughs> I worked at 24 on Wednesday. I came home Thanksgiving morning. I got home and like an hour later, I saw they, one of the chiefs texted me. Oh, we went to a job. I'm like, I missed it by like an hour. <laughs> so whatever. I mean, I don't get too mad because there's always you know there's always another fire coming in. But um, here, here's what I've done. Here's my own site like thought process over the past 23 years. Is like I don't want to see anybody have a fire, right? I mean, it, it's it's somebody's worst day, right? They're going, they're losing their house or whatever's on fire, or there could be a, a loved one getting hurt or, or worse. So I always say in my head, listen, I don't want to go to a fire, but if it has to happen, I just hope I'm working for it, right? I, you know, things happen that are out of our control. So um, if it's gonna happen, just make it in my, you know, when I'm working, this way I can go. Then help out. That's kind of how I got it. We, I feel the same way about autopsy, right? It's just like, it's obviously it's someone's worst day. They're dead or their family member's dead. But 
I, it, for me, it's just, it's great. Like it's science, it's learning, it's education. So right. a good day be, for me is a bad day for you, right? <laughs> exactly. But, but you want to be part of that, right? Cause you're giving the, you're doing your thing and that's how I look at it. Like, I don't want to people to experience this, but if, if it has to happen, well then let me, let me be working so I can, I can, I can kind of deal with it. So exactly. I love that theory. <laughs> So when did you start seeing an increase in these types of fires? Because you, I mean, obviously you've been there for a while. You actually, you know, you started right before 9-11 and everything. So when did, when did you start seeing and being like, wait, something's up with this. This is a little weird. We're seeing these a lot. Um, so it's pretty recent, actually. I mean, um, so I got promoted to battalion chief in April of 2016, so. Uh, it's been a couple of years since I've been chief, and I, I I went to the Bronx in twenty. I got my spot in twenty seventeen, uh, assigned to the battalion. So I've been there for a little while, and um, I really think I mean I don't have firm stats, but I really think it was probably around the pandemic is when these things started popping up, and we saw an increase like around like the end of 2020, 2021 for sure, twenty twenty two, and it's been on a steady increase uh, since probably early twenty twenty one with all these lithium ion battery fires and. I personally think New York City, number one, because it's so dense, obviously, some population. Um, but I really think it came out of the pandemic because, I mean, think about when you're in the pandemic, right? Everybody's home. They're ordering stuff a lot, food, just things online, right? Um, kids are on on devices to do schoolwork. So they're on, everything is powered by this e-mobility revolution, basically, right? Everything's got a, a battery to it, whether the laptop we're on, the cell phone, the video game, the scooter. The, you know, again, with scooters, we talk about like people don't want to travel because of COVID. Um, so we're ordering food, whether it be like Grubhub or DoorDash or Slice or some kind of app they're using. Again, on a device, they're using an app. So it's just this, this proliferation of all these devices. It's, it's this revolution, basically, of, uh, of, of all these e-mobility devices that are contributing to it. Um, and they have to be charged. And people don't want to pay. I mean, people lost their jobs. They have limited means of income during the pandemic. So they're looking to save money. So I'll buy the cheaper stuff and I'll use that. So I think it's, it's everything had like this synergistic effect where it kind of all like built up and boom, now we're seeing this problem. Um, And again, in New York city, it's because, Hey, listen, there's so much, there's so much here already people and and devices that I think just by the sheer numbers, um, you know, and people are always looking to cut corners with stuff. I mean, uh, we see it all the time in the Bronx where, they have scooters all over. They're in the hallways. They're, they're, they're basically setting themselves up for failure because of what they're doing, their practices. Like, right, if you had a scooter and you lived at your house and you kept it out in the in the backyard or in the garage, if it went on fire, yeah, all right, you take out your garage maybe or maybe it's an isolated thing. These people are storing them in their apartments, in the public hallway outside the apartment. So now when it goes on fire, you're affecting a lot of people because you're living with a bunch of people and you're cutting off means of e- egress. And, you know, it's just... Um, it's it, it just really is a, is a problem um, that we're seeing that's been intensified by all this, all this technology, basically. Yeah, it's it is something that's really interesting because prior to being married to a firefighter, like I, I'm just like an average person. I don't really know how things work. And it's it's really interesting because like in Gabe City, for instance, he hasn't had one fatality in his city due to a lithium ion battery, at least this year anyway. Right. And and then you have several in your city. So it's just it's just kind of crazy how different firefighters have to deal with different things depending on what area they're in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it is. It, it's crazy. And I don't know why. I mean, again, New York City, I think it's just because of the sheer numbers and the size. I mean, you know, we're dealing with a lot. Um, I mean, 
yeah, I, I don't really have a, a pinpoint. I think a lot of it came out of the pandemic, though. Uh, I know we were talking briefly, like in my area, uh, because we have Fordham University and uh, just the way that the, the, the makeup of the actual neighborhood, uh, a lot of people were ordering online during the pandemic and it's continued since, excuse me, especially with the, uh, the college kids, like the Grubhub and the DoorDash. Uh, we came across, and, and I didn't know about this until we responded for a gas leak. Uh, we came across a, a ghost kitchen. So um, we went in there and, and I didn't know what it was. The company called me and said, hey, chief, come take a look at this. So I go in and it was an, it was an older building. The building's been there it was well over 100 years old. It used to be a warehouse. It's a two-story brick, probably uh, 50 foot um, width by about 100 foot deep uh, and two floors. Uh, of It used to be a manufacturing, like a warehouse type building. Uh, they repurposed it and they put individual rooms. They had like sheetrock. The whole rear of the first floor is one big walk-in refrigerator, like you know the, the stainless steel refrigerators you see like in a commercial built a commercial restaurant. This one is the entire back of the first floor, and everybody rents space out of it. So you have all your cold stuff stored in there. And they had 36 individual rooms, maybe about 12 by 12 uh, in dimension, 18 on the first floor and 18 on the second floor, and they're individual kitchens. And what they have is a gas stove, food prep area, you know, sink and everything. And, and all it is is food prep. And then outside, you have e-bike after e-bike uh, waiting to pick up all these orders, DoorDash, Grubhub, whatever the companies that are in there, they lease out because what happened during the pandemic? Places were closing. They couldn't afford rent, right? Nobody was going out. So restaurants were closing, but people still have to eat. So why would I spend all this money on rent in New York City to have a restaurant when nobody's coming? I'll just get a kitchen, pay a minimal staff, no wait staff, just somebody to cook, clean, and prepare the food, and then get all these apps with the delivery bikes. And here come... I mean, there's delivery bikes. It's it's sometimes you pull on the block. It looks like like the five borough bike tour. It's like bicycles all over the place with these scooters because they're all delivering stuff. So. Yeah, that's and that's interesting because like we where we live in Jersey and even in Camden where Gabe works, it's the Grubhub and and um, especially DoorDash I think is most popular around here. It's it, everybody gets it, but it's just easier because they have cars and you can it. it even though Camden is a city, you could still easily kind of pull up there and drop food off. Whereas in New York, New York, it's tougher. Yeah. I mean, there's bike lanes everywhere. New York is much more, uh, it, it's tougher to get around with a car in New York, you know, parking and it's just tough. So a lot, there's a lot of scooters and bikes and the city's pushing that they want, they want more bikes, but it comes with a price too. Cause the bikes have issues. If you're not buying the right bike, if you're not maintaining it, if you're not charging it properly, so the, the fire department is aware of that. The city council is aware of it. They try to pass legislation to put like regu regulations in about where you can store your bikes, how you can safely charge them. Um, there's technology that can, there's a company called Cellblock who we actually use in the FDNY who makes a material, which we'll get into in a little while. When we do have a fire, we have to contain these battery cells. Uh, we overpack them in a drum. They put this material, it looks like little like round little balls and it solidifies around the battery. They dump that. Uh, it's called cell block, but cell block also makes other stuff where you can safely charge bikes and batteries. They'll make like bolts and stuff. They have all this technology that the city's trying to like harness uh, to uh, to make it safer for charging because these devices are here forever. They're not going anywhere, right? It's, it's, uh, hopefully, the technology will get better to make it safer. But you know, nobody's going to get rid of their cell phone or their laptop anytime soon or their scooter and stuff like that. I mean, even going to Italy, I remember as a kid going to Italy, there was always Vespas flying around, right? All those scooters. So. Mm -hmm. You know, now it looks like that in New York now, but. Yeah, that, that, and that could be something like those companies might have to fork out the bill for like providing for these things. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so they're I, I definitely making money off of it, right? <laughs> absolutely. They're making, yeah, of course. They're in business to make the money without a doubt. And um, one area where I'm kind of nervous, which it hasn't happened yet, but um, I see it. Not that I ride the subway very often in New York City because I, you know, I drive to the firehouse and park, but we do go to the um, subways. Um, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but the, these fires are almost like the Christmas tree fires where they take off so fast. The intensity of these fires, when they go, when you have that thermal runaway, the internal battery itself fails and the fire happens. I'm sure if you can, you can go on YouTube and Google any one of these. There's actually a video of a fire in the Bronx, which I wasn't at. It was a supermarket and one of the delivery bikes in like the back stock room. Uh, you see one of the employees walk in and he sees some smoke. And within like a second, the thing is just like this big, big white, bright light engulfed in flames. And it's off to the races and the whole supermarket, it took the supermarket out, this whole big supermarket burned to the ground because it took off. Um, I'm concerned. I think we're going to have a problem in New York City. This is my own guess. Um, they're not really, even though it's against the regulations, people bring these bikes onto the subway car. Um, oh, God. I, yeah. I, I'm I know waiting. where you're going with this. It's going to happen. It's going to happen because these devices, I mean, you talked about the one thing on the airplane, right? Uh, where yeah. they had a device. Yeah, so that's even worse. Now you're, I mean, I mean, but the train's not as bad too because you're in a tunnel somewhere and now what? Now you have this, this. You, you, if you ever been on the subway in rush hour, right? People are sold shoulder to shoulder. You can't move anywhere. Now this thing takes off. It's not, it's not going to be good. So that, uh, that's one area where I'm kind of nervous about the subway. So Besides, that's a word of I'm, advice. Like if you see someone with one of those bikes on the subway, get on another car. <laughs> on a different car. Yeah, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be comfortable with one of those bikes in the car, no. Not knowing how I know how they are under fire conditions, absolutely not. Yeah, so that was one of the questions I had for you. Like they, they burn differently than like let's say if wood was burning. Oh, absolutely. Yes, with they burn with like such an intensity and a rapidity that is unbelievable. Um, you know, that used to be always like Christmas tree fires. They're coming into like end of December into January. They dry out, and if you ever see a Christmas tree tree go, it goes super fast and creates a lot of heat. That I want to say pales comparison, but it's not even close to what a battery does. These things are, are like an explosive force, and it happens so quick, and it, it has so much heat and, and intensity. It's just like catastrophic. And you know, you put that in a confined space, like you know, in a public hallway or in a house, or between you and the exit, you, you don't have time to uh, like. You, you're there's a video from Lower Manhattan. If you've ever seen it on YouTube, it's a city housing project. Um, there was, uh, two adults and two kids in the apartment. And I believe, uh, that the adults were, had a business where they would charge people to come charge their devices there. So they were batteries all over charging. And that's how they were making money. Well, one of them failed and the apartment was completely engulfed. Uh, the two adults ended up losing their lives, but the two kids had the wherewithal to make it to the window. And there's a yellow gas pipe that runs the exterior of the building, which was like pretty close to where the window was. They both, they were like four or five floors up. So they're fairly high up in the building. They were able to get out of the window and shimmy down that gas oh safely. It's all, it's all on video. I mean, everything is on video today, right? Yeah. So you can watch it. If you Google it, you'll see it. Or YouTube, you'll see them climb out of the window and they climb down before the fire department's even there. There's no, I mean, it happened that fast. Like, you know, we, we get there within a couple of minutes, but you don't have a couple of minutes. Like if you're in that apartment, you gotta, you gotta go like now. So when you guys show up to one of these fires, do you know right away that this that that is what it is because it has a different presentation, or is it something you learn like afterwards? Uh, you usually it's afterwards. Uh, although I do pull up to fires where like the 
far as pretty well advanced. And, um, you know, I work in a populated area, so it's not like there's like a delay in discovery of the fire. Everybody has a cell phone. So, you know, fire out a window, people are calling. We get like multiple calls. People are calling right away. So it's usually discovered fairly quickly as re as opposed to working in a remote area where it could be burning for a while and nobody reported it. I don't have that. Um, everybody reports it pretty quick. Um, so a, a lot of fires I'm coming to now are pretty advanced. But that's for a couple different reasons. It could be building construction. But these things tend to uh, to definitely uh, make the fire go into its advanced stages a lot faster. Excuse me. So when I pull up and I see an advanced fire, it's one of my questions in my mind. Oh, I wonder if this is uh, an I, you know, lithium ion battery. Then once the fire is knocked down and, you know, we're in there and we're doing our searches, we kind of have to determine, you know, cause and origin. We try to figure out if we know what would happen. If not, we turn it over to our uh, Bureau of Fire Investigation. They'll call me and say, hey, Chief, we got, uh, we got a scooter or we got batteries and stuff. And then that starts a whole protocol for us as far as how do we deal with that and, and everything. So um, if I don't know right away, because, uh, you know, maybe, but more than likely it's after the fire is knocked down, they'll call me and they'll say, hey, we have a, a scooter. Or, um, and it's not necessarily that the scooter started the fire, but it might have added to the fire because uh, it was involved in the fire. So sometimes I've had fires where, this, where the battery wasn't the cause of the fire. It was involved in the fire area. And once it started burning, it just added to the fire problem. Yeah, that's that's another interesting fact. So you keep you keep mentioning scooters or are scooters like would you say like the number one? These e-bikes seem to be the most um, the most prevalent that, from my experience is yeah, it's the it's the e-bikes, the scooters, stuff like that, the hoverboards, um, those type of devices, the ones that I see most often causing the problem. That's not to say that a laptop or uh, a cell phone can't cause a problem. Like I tell my kids, like I. You know, and I, and I get it. They're on their phone with their girlfriend or their friends or whatever, and, and they fall asleep and the phone's charging in their bed. I'm like, no, no. I, I, first of all, I don't even want them having their phone at night. I, it's for a whole other reason. I That's like a whole it. other reason. <laughs> exactly. I said, but if you're going to have it, I want you to put it like on the nightstand or on the desk and let it charge because, you know, you cover it with the blanket and the pillow. Now you're overheating the device. It's charging. It's just increasing the likelihood of having a problem. So, I, you know, I'm not a fan of having the phone, in, you know, in the bed with the charger or an iPad or a laptop or anything. It, it, it needs, it doesn't need to be smothered. Um, you're just creating, uh, you're increasing your chances of having a problem, basically. Yeah, I've actually had a couple of followers of mine send me like crazy photos of like one kid had the, the same thing you're saying, like the phone was plugged in on the bed next to him and it like, it caught on fire and burned his necklace on his neck. Yes. And the cord was like all burned up. And I was like, oh my God, like, but this is just like stuff regular people don't don't realize. This is why we have to talk to firemen that see this kind of stuff because Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know what? Um you can't control everything, but you can kind of minimize your exposure to issues. So if if a device is going to fail internally, there's not much you can do to prevent it other than um you know, how you store how you charge it, you follow the the directions by the manufacturer. So like I don't charge things overnight um if I don't have to uh when I'm sleeping. Um, I definitely don't keep anything near uh, my egress. So I don't have anything between me and my way out of the room. I don't have anything by me in the window. Um, I don't keep anything in direct sunlight. Like, have you ever, have you ever had your uh, cell phone like on the dashboard of your car and it sits in the sun? Next thing you know, you take it and then there's like a, a thermometer there or a temperature gauge. Is it the, fo the phone's too hot? Have you ever yeah. had? Yes. Yeah. It's because it's internally heating up and that's not good. So now you couple that with charging it and you, you could be asking for problems. So, um, you know, they're, they're electronic devices and they have limitations. And if you push those limitations, that, that's when you can have a problem. And those are the ones that are made to, to normal standards. So now, taking the fact that you have counterfeit ones who aren't made to the right specifications, which might have a fire under normal conditions, 
And now you put that under your pillow or under your bed or in direct sunlight or, you know, in the path of your egress. And uh, people are surprised when they have a problem. It's like, well, what you, what you expect is going to happen? <laughs> this is this is something I was going to like talk to you about just because I have you here, because this is always interesting that, to have with the firewives that when, when we sit around and talk about like, what is your husband totally crazy about in your house or whatever? So Gabe is the same way as far as like the way the furniture is set up in the bedrooms and stuff. You can't put anything in front of the window. He's just where where our kids just like they want to put a big dresser or a big like bed or something. And he's always crazy about that. Like this has to be clear every single night, all the time. Um, so what are some things in your house that you're that you're like a little nuts about because of your experience. So, uh, yeah, I agree with that. So first of all, no candles in our house. Uh, the only thing I'll let, I say, all right, listen, if you want to have to have, to have a candle, I mean, you know, in the house, uh, a floating bath one, okay. So if it flips over, it's in the water, I'm okay with that. Otherwise, nothing by the stove, nothing by, you know, no candles in the house. So I've been to a bunch of fires where candles cause fires, obviously, right? So let me tell you about this thing I just bought. It's like a, it's a thing that plugs into the wall and you put the candle on it and it melts the wax and the smell comes out, but like there's no flame. Is that okay? So or I have a problem with those other, like the, those, the ones that get really hot that you plug in, like the scented ones. I hate those things. I tell my wife, there's no way we're not getting those things. They get so hot. Like I've touched a few of them. Like I don't like the, it has like the oil inside of it. Yeah. So I'm not it, a fan. Like of, Gabe doesn't know that we have those, but we have I'm not those. Saying I don't know anything. I don't know anything. <laughs> but, um, Personally, I'm not a fan of those. No, I, I'd rather, I'd rather not. Um, I just don't trust. I mean, anything can happen with those things. You're just taking an extra chance. I mean, if you're home during the day, you have it in, you want to plug it, keep an eye on it. Okay. But like, I wouldn't sleep with it in and I certainly wouldn't leave it plugged in when I'm not home. Um, so like, anything you're saying, like anything that feels hot when you go up to it is just like, well, well not don't... anything. Like, you know, things going to get heat. Like my my laptop is warm right now because I, you know it's 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 running and charging. That's normal, but I mean like sometimes it gets extra hot. I don't like when it's hot. Um, and I've had a few cell phones too that were charging, and I was like, man, it gets awfully hot. So I'm like, I'm not sure what's up with that. So I'll unplug it, let it cool off for a while. Um, no, things are supposed to get hot. Like you know your TV's hot. I mean things get hot normally. That's you know, your microwave. That's normal uh, operating temperature when they're operating. That that's fine. But um, like those those little like renews it. I think they call them the little liquid things you plug in. Like I. Mm-hmm. It's super hot. I don't, I just don't feel comfortable with those. I don't, I don't like those for my house. Uh, but I'm kind of a little OCD also. Like I told you, like when we go on vacation, my wife and kids are kind of like programmed now. Whatever hotel room we're in, I go, all right, before we settle in, I want you to count the number of doors and what side of the hallway it's on to the staircase. So if we have to go and there's a smoke condition or it's lights out, they lost power, you know, I know that I make a right out of my room, three doors in, just open the door. That's the staircase and move them in the stairs. And we can go. So I do stuff like that where, you know, just for situational awareness. Um, I think I that's always... genius, actually. And I'm going to I'm going to mention that to Gabe that we should <laughs> that we should because he's got his own things that we do or whatever. But I I think regular people don't understand that when you're in the hotel, like it looks all light, bright and shiny. And, and I have no idea what it's like to be inside a fire because I've never been in one. Right. But. I, I've seen videos, obviously, and, and it's scary that you only could feel and you don't like in your own house, you can probably more easily find your way out because, you know, you're familiar with it. Although I would counter that with the fact that, um, you know, when you're walking through your house, your vantage point of your house is from on your your whatever, however tall you are. That's your view of your house. Right. 
in a smoke condition, you're not going to be standing up walking around your house. So your your view of your house is going to be on the ground. Can you know where you are? Obviously, but we're not used to crawling around our houses, right? So middle of the night with smoke and everything, you, you, you could be disoriented, number one, because it's stressful. Number two, you, more than likely you came out of a sleep, so you're kind of like figuring out what's going on, and you're not used to crawling around your house. So um, you could even be, be disoriented in your own house. People, We lose more people in the United States in their own house, houses than anywhere else in fires, and, and that's where you live. That's what you're most familiar with. Um, so, so should we drill our kids to to get out of the house by crawling around the floor and us too? I guess I don't, but I mean it's good to you know it's it's familiar with landmarks and stuff. I mean you know your house, so but uh, it's good to have drills for sure. Where you're going to meet, obviously, absolutely. I mean uh, without a doubt, um, yeah, without a doubt, because it's that that's realistically that's and, and statistically that's where you're going to have the problem is at home. You spend the most time there, right? And that's. Where there could be the most, uh, you know, you're sleeping there at night. That's when you're at your most prone, basically. And the fire starts. That's where we have all these problems. Yeah, it's this is it's also interesting. <laughs> now you're get, like, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do some stuff. Every I always yeah. want to hear other people's perspective from this because it's yeah, like, yeah. but I I always tell Gabe, I'm like, if anything happens to our house, it's a hundred percent gonna be while when you're at work. And I'm going to be here by myself with the kids. And that, you know what I mean? Like that, Absolutely. that always scares me because if he's here, obviously I'm like, I don't even worry, but I do worry those couple nights that he's, you know, he's not here. So I told that my wife and I had the same conversation, like during, um, uh, during Sandy and like the, I believe the the October before Sandy, we had like two catastrophic storms and we lost power and everything. And we didn't have a generator in our house and both for Sandy and the, and the year before we had that other storm. I was working. So she's home by herself. And the kids were younger back then, obviously. And she's like, you're never home when things go crazy. I'm like, I'm, I'm working. So uh, I said, you know what? I said, that's it. I said, uh, the year after Sandy, I, uh, I saved some money. And we put a natural gas generator, like a standby generator at our house. So this way, if power goes out, it automatically starts up and powers the house. And then she's good. We haven't lost power since. I'll make that. <laughs> So, but whatever, at least it's peace of mind knowing that I'm at work and then, you know, everybody back home is at least they have some power to, you know, put some lights on and heat or whatever it is. Um, I don't have to worry about it, like the sump pumps and stuff like that. So at least they're kind of, when I'm in the city dealing with all the stuff down there, in the back of my mind, at least I know that there's some, some of a safety net back home for, for everybody else. Yeah, that's a good idea. I know that yeah. happened to us, like our alarm, like, you know, the house alarm has yeah. went off like twice just for, I don't know why. Sometimes it gets like a high pitched sound. The glass break goes off or something. One time it was like there was like a fox outside that was like mating call or screaming and that high pitched noise. But it's always like he's not home and it's three o'clock in the morning and scaring the shit out of me. And I'm like, oh, my God, like why? Yeah. Like, how do you even pick this? I don't even understand. And then the police come and see what's going on. Right. Or yeah, they the, call we can actually call them and say, like, don't come if it's uh -huh. not. But. That that one time I was like, should I have them come? Like, I don't know why it went off, but I did hear the fox scream. So I was like, it was probably that or whatever. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But things happen. It always happens. That's that's the life of being a firefighter's wife, right? Like, it's like whatever you need. It's yeah. like we're, we're everybody else. But what about me? Yeah, you. exactly. <laughs> I, your wife and I could have some conversations. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. All right. Uh, so one other thing I do with it, just my seat, my OCD kicks in. And I've had a bunch of these is whenever we go away, like not every day, but when I go away, like for a weekend or whatever, we're doing something with the kids with sports. I always shut the the water off to my washer and dryer because I can't tell you how many broken hoses I've been to. And it creates floods everywhere, especially the hot water hose. You keep that valve on and it, it bursts 
and we, I've been to houses where there's water coming out of the staircase because the water's just running. There's oh nobody's my God. Yeah, so I shut the valve off behind the behind the washing machine because I, you know, if it bursts, it's only a couple, you know, a gallon or two of water. If that valve is open, you know, until somebody shuts it, the water's gonna be running. So, yeah, this is like again things that just regular people don't think about. Yeah, I know, yeah. and that and that would be thousands of dollars worth of damage. Like damage plus your water bill's gonna be through the roof. It's yeah, that's true. because you're heating that hot water's running. Yeah. So, oh my god. Not good. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Artery Inc. Artery Inc. sells apparel and accessories to medical professionals, and they really have some awesome designs. They are a woman-owned company, and they draw all of their own designs, which is super cool, and it makes their company really unique. You always know when you're wearing something from Artery Inc. Like right now, I'm wearing my favorite shirt, which is an anatomic heart because I love hearts, and... They're a really great company to work with because they give back to the community and they have donated over $30,000 last year in sales back to the community, which is really awesome and something that we love to support. Now you can get 15% off of your order by using code LOVEYOURINSIDES23 and you can go to arteryinc.com to see more of their designs. They also make designs for nurses, doctors, but they make it for more obscure professions like pathologist assistants, which is what I am. And you can get 15% off of your order now. So check it out. All right. What? Circling back to our battery discussion, like what yes. I I guess, I mean, it, in a perfect world, like if you could fix everything, like what what's the solution? Because where let's say, for example, you were saying that we would put it like in our shed or something at our house if we had something like that charging. But like what, when you live in an apartment, an apartment building, like what, what is the solution to, to not well, having these things in buildings? So um, le legislation is one of the biggest things. Um, you're not really supposed to have them in your apartments, right? So New York city, they have their legislation now where they're saying, so the landlords are supposed to post it and you're supposed to let you know when you, when you rent there or you, or you own, like you're not allowed to keep them in your apartment. Um, so they're going to have to come up with, and they're doing it with city housing projects. They have these different programs where they're like safe areas to charge and they'll give like docking stations that are outside the building or in a safe area or in a room that's made to contain a fire. Um, it's going to have to be through design and through legislation. And, and the biggest thing too is like, and bigger than us, it's more on, on a federal level, I think is with the trade, like, with, you know, things are coming, you order something from, on Amazon from some foreign country. You know, you, there's no, they don't follow the same regulations that we do. They don't have the same safety standards. So you're getting something cheaper from another country. You know, that's on a federal level. We really can't change that locally. That That's uh, more of like, uh, you know, international trade has to really get involved and say, listen, we're not going to accept stuff that's substandard. We don't, we're not going to even have it come into the and country. That makes you nervous with other things like blankets and like pajamas. You know how like pajamas for kids are supposed to be like fire? Yeah. Absolutely. And, it, and like the, like cosmetics and stuff that have chemicals in them that we don't allow here people get reactions exactly exactly well how many times do you see people go for surgeries in other countries that aren't allowed here and they have problems over there like you know there's there's rules and regulations in place for a reason right i mean they're trying to protect our people for the best they can and people want to circumvent that the, the other big problem though is even if we enforce all this stuff let's say let's say we get the legislation in and then, and then the federal government set, puts these 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 restrictions in place that's great 
But what do we do with everything that's already here, right? Because that's not gonna that's not gonna be uh, retroactive, saying that okay, now the problem's solved. Like, no, 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 we're gonna prevent stuff from from happening in the future by you know not allowing this stuff into the country and having rules for it. But there's a already how many millions of devices are already here? How many millions of batteries are already here? Where you know th that could be a problem. So it's not gonna solve everything because we already have stuff here. Um, you know, I, I, if I had the the million dollar answer, I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's just part of it, I think. And I think a lot of it is also public education, like, you know, teaching people what can happen to these things if you don't use them properly. If you if you don't, you know, take follow the instructions of how you're supposed to use the actual how you're supposed to charge them, how you're supposed to use them. Don't use secondhand batteries. Don't repurpose them. Um, know what a counterfeit like UL sticker looks like, like a fake sticker. Um, you know, if you're spending if you're buying a, a piece of equipment that should cost a couple hundred bucks and you're getting it for 50 bucks. That should be raising a flag, like, oh, well, you know, why is it so cheap? Well, it's so cheap because it's probably not made the way it's supposed to be made. So, um, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I think a, a, a lot of it is with public education and 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 how you uh, take personal responsibility for your stuff. Like, you know what? Don't charge things overnight. Don't charge things in the public hallway. Don't charge things, um, you know, uh, under your blanket or your pillow while you're sleeping at night. So I think there's a personal responsibility on everybody to kind of, uh, you know, take precautions that can minimize your risk of, of having a, a catastrophic event with these batteries. Um, yeah. One's whole solution. It's, it's really good. Like this, hopefully like everyone in New York will just listen to this podcast and it'll just. Wow. There's a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just to make you aware, I mean, like, and that's awareness with anything, right? I mean, any, any, any type of, of public awareness just to be, um, uh, cause people operate, they don't, they don't even know that this is a problem. People buy stuff and they do things every day and they're like, you know, um, like we were kind of joking before, like I'm not a tech savvy person, right? So like my kids usually help me with stuff, but like imagine like a generation that's older than us. They're not used to even having cell phones. Now they're not, they don't even think about it. Oh, I got a cell phone. They're not thinking about, oh, it's charging, uh, you know, on my couch and it went beneath the pillow when it overheated. They're not even, they don't even, they don't even know how to use the cell phones on people. Like, oh, I'm not even trying to figure this out. So, um, they're not really even think that's not even on their radar basically. Yeah. I mean, this is a conversation I have with Gabe all the time about, um, like we were talking about, this is like a completely different story, but I just thought you're going to think I sound like an idiot, no. but like I, before I met him, I didn't even know there was a difference between professional firefighters and volunteer firefighters because I grew up in the burbs and we just had, I guess, well, volunteer all over. And another thing is like, if someone's house caught on fire, I just always was like, oh, well, the fire burned it down. I didn't really realize that. The firemen can really, if they're doing a good job and their response time is good, that that their job is also to not only save people, but to protect the property as well. Property. So sometimes we'll just be talking about that, that like things burn faster than they should or whatever, just because like somebody wasn't doing the, the proper thing. And and I'm like, I don't I, I try to tell him, I'm like, average people don't really think about that. They just think like the fire burned it down. It wasn't anybody's fault or you know yeah no absolutely i mean there's things i mean but like you know there, there's things that we're hyper focused on it because that's what we do and that's what we see all the time right we get called to these emergencies and we uh, and we see it but a lot of people take it for granted like you know like um they don't it's not on their radar it's like a, a blind spot for them like oh, i just take it for granted that my house is going to be there or or i just plug my phone in and i just take it off and i go to work that day and it's just going to be working for me but when things happen, uh, and we, like I said, we get called to all these things that happen. We see the negative effects of all these things. And it's, I, I mean, statistically, like I said, it, I mean, the numbers are, are creeping up. I think we said it's like uh, 18 fire deaths uh, or 17 fire deaths this year from, from batteries. 
and that's trending upward. So we definitely have a huge problem on our hands. Um, but I think if we're making people more and more aware of it, I'm hoping that those numbers will start coming down. I mean, we always have fired us, unfortunately, but, um, but, but, but we can't, you know, we can't control. So um, I got to be measured in how I say this. In the profession that, that, that we all work in, emergency services, right? I look at like bad things happen, regardless, like we try to, 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 to save as many lives as we can, but still bad stuff happens. Right. So, um, I look at it two ways. I look at it. The best way for me to reconcile these things is like my process versus, versus the outcome. So I look at it. I have my training, my education. I drill with my firefighters. We do public awareness. We do all this stuff. We're going to work with, um, the legislation to en enact law, to keep people safer. That's all in our process, right? We control our process. Even though we do all that stuff right, you have a fire, we don't really control the outcome. People die, things happen. That's not really in our control. So I, I focus more on our process and the things of what I can actually control um, and then hope to minimize the risk for everybody. But the outcome is really largely out of our control. Like if, if, if there's a catastrophic fire and people died, in spite of all these things that we had in place, you know, we don't, we, you know, I don't have, I don't have control of it. So I think that yeah. helps. And that's something I see a lot with the cases that I present on my website, um, just with other types of accidental deaths. It's like you just can't every day you just hear of something and you're like, how did that happen? No one's ever died like that. No one's. It, it's just like there's freak accidents all the time and you can't control all of it, obviously. No, you can't. You can't. Yeah, absolutely. So and we do that with like leadership on the fire. We talk about that, um, especially as like a chief officer. Um, I talk about the, uh, and, and this is not mine, this is what I've gotten from working with leadership on the fire, but I talk about the ape, like, um, the things that we can control as humans. Um, and I, and I try to, in my personal life, but also in my professional life, try to remember that I, I control my attitude. It's hundred percent of my control, my preparation, right? My training, my, my physical working out, my, the classes I go to the drills and stuff like that, any preparation I put into it, nobody can prepare for, for me or you or anybody you prepare for yourself. And then my effort, right? So if, uh, if I decide I'm going to give 200% today, whatever it is, I mean, you control your effort. Whatever you, energy you're going to expend, that's completely in your control. So um, I put that with my process, my, my attitude, my preparation, and my effort. I focus all that on my process. So I know that my process is, is as solid as I possibly can make it. And I keep that independent from my outcome. I know my process is good and I work on my process. And that's what I give every day when I go to work and, you know, at home, I try to give 100%. I focus on those three things, what I can control, and I just kind of accept the fact that the outcome of that is out of my out of my control. Um, it kind of helps, especially when you have like a lot of fatal fires and stuff. It kind of helped reconcile in my head, like, all right, listen, I did everything I was supposed to do. I, I controlled it, of what I could control. The uncontrollables are out of my out of my you know. I can't do anything with those. It's bad stuff happens sometimes. I think I think that those rules are just not applicable to firefighters, but just for everything, just like, you know, one of my kids has like a health issue. I mean, you could use it towards any aspect of life, which Absolutely. which is hard because you have to focus and just be like, you can't control this. And th that's that's like the yeah the pandemic and everything like Absolutely. that was hard for me because I'm in medicine and just sitting back and like having to deal with that. Absolutely. So yeah, that brings me up. So, and I'm sure, you know, being married to a firefighter, we're like fixers and doers, right? You can't tell a firefighter like, oh, you can't do that. Or you can't fix it. Like, no, 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 we're going to do it. Right. So like, that's like a huge lift for us. Like, what do you mean? I can't control that. Yeah, of course we can. Like, no, you really can't. Like that's out of your control. Like if you think about it, you know, looking at it from a bigger view, it's like, no, we don't, we really don't control the outcomes of these things. 
Um, and and my wife and I were talking, you know, medically during the pandemic, like the engine companies, uh, in, in this is FDNY specific, they go on uh, what they call CFR. They're trained to CFRD, Certified First Responder with a defibrillation um, training, uh, like basically a step below an EMT. So they go out and they do all medical runs and they're, they're usually quicker because there's more of us engine companies before EMS and they work together with the EMS uh, and the FDNY. Then they'll transport to the hospital and everything and they're a little higher level of care, you know, advanced life support, stuff like that. They're higher levels than we are. But during the pandemic, uh, it wasn't uncommon for the engine companies like in my area throughout the whole city to go on EMS runs 15, 20 times a tour. And most, if not all of them, were COVID cases and the people were, were deceased. So like where they had to actually change our, our protocols for this at the state level for, you know, like basically abandoning a patient because, you know, you're supposed to do your interventions until either you are exhausted or until you're relieved by somebody equal or higher. Well, we didn't have resources for that. And these and, and there's other people we have to serve. Now you're there with a person that's deceased. You know, how when do you call? Like when do we say, all right, we're done here? We can't do anything. So there, there was a huge there was a lot of problems psychologically for guys, like like kind of reconciling that, like, you know, we're here to help. Like these people can't even be helped. And at the same time, we read in the newspaper and I was telling saying to my wife, they said, Oh, hospitalizations from COVID are down. And I'm like, yeah, do you know why that is? It's because they're not making it to the hospital. They're dying in their apartment. So of course it's down. They never left they're, they're dead in their bed. So that's why the hospitals are down. So it's like, um, yeah, yeah, it was a tough time to go Such through. Such a stuff. crazy, yeah. You you've <laughs> been some through some crazy things in your career. What <laughs> what's next for you? Like I know that you. So you've been you've basically been on the job like as almost as long as Gabe has been. So what what's the deal in New York as far as retirement goes and stuff? Um. So um. I. You're eligible for retirement at 20 years, which oh, okay. years ago for me, yeah, regardless of it, there's no age requirement. So it's you have to be 21 to get hired. Um, so potentially 41, you could be the earliest you could retire. You got to do 20 years. I, again, um, I, I've been on for a little while. The pensions are different now. So if you're a new hire, it's a different pension system. And it's different. They have an age requirement and a time requirement where somebody that came on the job before, it's only uh, time on. So for me personally, 20 years on the job, regardless of your age and you'll retire with a half pay pension. Uh, okay. but you know, I mean, we still have the four kids, they're in school. I got colleges coming and everything. So as long as I stay healthy, realistically, probably another 10 years or so. Yeah. yeah. That's, this uh, is Gabe. Gabe's like, I'll never retire if I don't have yeah. to, right? I mean, like, I'm 46. So, you know, 10 yeah. will be 56. Yeah, then we'll see. And that'll give me 33 years, but then we'll see. But, um, yeah, I have no plans. And actually, uh, this past June, I uh, I sat for the promotion exam for the next rank. Uh, I did fairly well. There's no promotions yet. They got to, you know, it's a whole civil service. It's uh, I joke about hurry up and wait with the city, right? You take everything and you know, <laughs> like a year. But um, they're working on it, and uh, probably within a year or so, I'll probably get promoted to the next rank. Um, is that deputy? Deputy or... chief. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, I didn't uh, know if it was like the same or whatever. Uh, that's cool yeah. though. Yep. So uh, so that'll be the next the next uh, next venture. <laughs> and what and you did you spoke about we've both spoke about leadership under fire a couple of times, but can you explain to everyone what exactly that is? Because for people that don't know about it. Sure. So uh, Jason Bresler is uh, the founder of Leadership Under Fire. He uh, is currently a lieutenant in the New York City Fire Department, um, but he started this initiative uh, within the FDNY and uh, on the outside with Leadership Under Fire basically based on his uh, experience as a Marine Corps officer, and he was uh, overseas, uh, you know, fighting 
uh, commanding a group of Marines, and he had his experiences there, and he played baseball at a fairly high level So um, during college. So bringing uh, his sports experience, his military experience, and his firefighting experience together, um, you know, he's in a unique position, and he saw like there was this gap in, uh, in, in human performance. Basically, the military had it, professional sports had it, but the fire service really didn't. And the fire service was always focused on like uh, um, studying about, you know, how our tools respond to stress and how our infrastructure, like the gas and electric services respond to stress, how a building responds to stress, you know, from collapse or, or fire, but nothing really how we respond. And, and when I say stress, I don't mean uh, like PTSD type thing. I'm talking more about um, when humans are performing under stressful conditions, how, how we react, what happens, like what, when that saber tooth tiger was chasing us years ago, you know, how does that manifest now into 2023, 2024, where there's no more saber tooth tiger, but you have a building on fire or you have an active shooter coming after you or whatever it is. Like, you know, our body doesn't know the difference. We just know that it's like fight, flight or freeze type reaction. So um, it explores that and so much more, um, you know, how we, how we react to stress, what, what systems are online or offline, you know, auditory exclusion, tunnel vision, loss of fine motor skills, um, memory distortions and stuff like that. Like it's, it's amazing. This, and there's so much to it. And I'm, you know, just scraping the tip of the iceberg and, I, and they are so fight so far ahead of me as far as like Jason and people we have in Luff and in the FDNY are like been on this path for a while, like studying this stuff. Uh, I'm coming in behind them trying to study, but the more I kind of read and try to ask, but the more questions I have, the more I'm like, oh, there's like so much to it. It's unbelievable. But uh, really, who's championing this is professional sports because of the lucrative nature of sports. Um, so, like, if we're like, let's say you and I are professional baseball pitchers, physically we're pretty much equal. We can both throw high speed and the same pitches. But what differentiates us? It's really the mental game, and that's where they're focusing on uh, in sports. And then, like in the high operative uh, military world too, they they do it too. Like the special forces people do that. So uh, we're kind of like modeling it off them, but for the fire service. It's it's such a great organization. I'm glad it's Gabe awesome. can be a part of it. Yeah, Gabe you. is part of it. Absolutely. You know how it is. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's really helped me. And, uh, you know, I've had some catastrophic fires, uh, both previous to having any kind of understanding of human performance under stress. And I, I thought like something was wrong with me. And then I've had some catastrophic failures, fires, fatal fires after that I had an understanding of human performance under stress. And there was a huge difference uh, in, in, in my performance, number one, and number two, just kind of how. I view it and how I think about it and, and understanding like what I was feeling and what happened to me and, and knowing that none of us are immune. If you're human, like you're not immune from this stuff. Like it's going to happen. Even with understanding of it, you can still have tunnel vision and you can still have like these memory gaps and memory distortions and stuff. And it, it's the bottom line is that, that that's helped me again with that, with that eight and, and looking at process versus outcome. But the other big thing is that it's helped me out is that it, it's totally normal. Like you're not crazy. Like you're normal. Like you experience this stuff. Yeah. That's, that's because you're human and you're normal. And for me as a firefighter, as a chief, like that kind of like is like, okay, yeah, hey, I'm supposed to feel that way because this is like, you know, people are dead. I feel like crap. And okay, that's normal. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really crazy because it's like this. It's the same kind of thing with, I mean, obviously my job isn't isn't on that level, although all I do is deal with dead people and, and horrible diseases and stuff. But nurses deal with it. Uh, police officers, EMTs, everything. Absolutely. And we're we're like not designed any different than than a person that works at Starbucks or or that works in an office. So there there should right. be special tools for for people that are dealing in heavy jobs like that. You know. Y yes, and, and and I think um, 
one of the biggest things I got out of Luff too, and it's a, it's a, it's a kind of like a a shift in your in your view of things is that, you know if you Google like mental health and like stress and like in all those areas, police, fire, medical staff, you're going to see a lot bunch of stuff on PTSD, right? And and that, that and that's real, and that's that's definitely something we have to deal with. So being exposed to stress in the right way, you actually experience like post traumatic growth, like so you're growing out of the experience. So like you know. Because you're doing your good work and you're helping and you're exposed to all this kind of bad stuff, you're kind of manifesting it inside, like saying, all right, yeah, this stuff happened, but I'm focused on my process. I'm not really kind of independent of my outcomes and I'm, we're doing all this stuff. You kind of grow out of it and, and um, you kind of, um, I don't want to say you're immune from it, but it definitely builds up, a, a, um, I guess is a tolerance the right word, where you kind of are, as opposed to the, you know, an untrained person with the actual average civilian walking into this be like, oh, this is terrible. Like, yeah, all right. But you know what? You kind of get like a growth out of it where next time you go to it, you kind of know what to, and I'll give you a quick example. And I had this years ago when I was, the first time I became a, a firefighter, I was in a ladder company. I worked overtime in an engine company and the engines, as you know, do uh, EMS runs. Mm -hmm. So when I was in the academy, I had to get trained for CPR, right? So, and I'm sure you've done this how many times, right? Well, I don't ever do CPR on dead people, okay, actually, dead already, so yes. I don't. No, but, but I don't. I, I'm not CPR trained at all. Oh, you're not. No, right. no. I mean, so, I can't help them when. No, they're dead already. Yes, you can't help those people. Yeah, that's too far gone. No, you're right. You're right. Have you ever taken a CPR course? I I did a long time ago in college, like like 25 years ago or something. All right. So it's probably the same, like American Heart Association, right? You do everything. You get your protocol. And what are you doing your, what are you practicing on? You're practice, practicing on like a half a rubber human, yeah. right? You're putting your stuff in and, you, and you're pressing on this plastic thing, right? Yeah. So that was my experience up until the first day that I went on an EMS call and I had to do CPR for real. Well, nobody told me that I'm going to feel ribs break and I'm going to smell and hear stuff and see stuff that I wasn't ready for that you can't re replicate in a, in, a, in a plastic mannequin that you're doing your CPR on. So that kind of like destroyed me at first because I'm like, what? The? You know, it was an older woman. She was, I mean, no pulse of breathing. She was technically dead, right? And she she, she, she died. Uh, she was dead. And we're there to help. You know, we put the defib on and we're waiting, you know, no shock advice. And we're doing compressions. We're waiting for EMS to come. We got the oxygen on and all that stuff. But like, you know, I'm pushing down and I feel the ribs and I, you know, it's, there's the smells and the sights and everything. And I'm like, holy, what the? Like, I was totally not prepared for that. So could I could I have had, like, a PTSD, like, reaction to that? Absolutely, because it's, like, traumatizing. Like, what the? Like, I was not prepared for that. Whereas, you know, if you kind of train somebody to expect to see that the first time, which I wasn't. Like, I was used to the Rescue Randy plastic mannequin. That's not reality. So, like, if you if you train realistically and you go to calls and you, and you um, kind of um you know are, are slowly exposed to this stuff when it really happens like it's not really going to be as much of a like a holy crap moment there because you're kind of expecting it and then once you've been in the field for a while doing stuff and i'm sure in your field too once you've seen it a bunch of times it's kind of like you expect it you know it um it levels that lo the level of stress is down a lot and um i don't want to say you're callous but your reactions are much more tempered i guess because you kind of are expecting and know what it's what it's about yeah, I mean, I can't even believe the transition that I had in such a short period of time where I went from like the very first time I went to go see an autopsy, uh, there was like 10 people in the room and I was just like, there's like a dead guy laying there, you know, like, why is no one acting weird? There's a dead yeah. person laying there to like a year later eating my lunch, like next to a dead body, just like 
yeah, nothing. You know what I mean? Like, so you, you know just, what I'm trying to say that you feel yeah. that. I don't, I mean, it would never happen for a multitude of reasons, but I would, I would think that it would probably be good training for a new firefighter or a new EMT or a new cop in their academy to have to go view an autopsy. Because, I mean, you're dealing with people. So, like, dead people. Like, whether we're dragging them out of a building or cutting them out of a car or whatever. Yeah. And you see, like, I, I mean, I know that stuff that Gabe has seen, and it's like, I, I don't think, even pulling a body out of the water, someone that jumped off the bridge or something, it, and seeing a body that's been in water for a couple days yeah. in the summer. Yeah, like yeah, it, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. it's very traumatizing to see a yes. human like not dead, let alone like in that condition, like severely decomposed or something or or Absolutely. really mangled from an accident. Yeah. And you could yeah. see anything like uh, when you're a firefighter. Absolutely. We're exposed to it all. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Gabe went on a call once of, I think the guy, it was like a machinery accident. The guy got his hand stuck. You know what I mean? Like you could see some really gnarly stuff. And absolutely. That, that could really scare like a young guy, especially. That's absolutely. Just Listen, I, I was, I was 23 when I got hired in the FDNY, right? Like I, I went to college. I lived at home. I, I worked, you know, my, my, my now side job was my full-time job back then. And, um, you know, I wasn't exposed to any of that stuff. So here I am, 23 years old. Like, all right, next thing I know, I'm doing CPR on some woman. I'm like, what the heck? You know, I mean, I mean, you know, 23, you could say the same thing about like the, the military guys back in Vietnam or World War II. They're 18 and they're in war and they're seeing all stuff for the first time. And, you know, but it, yeah, you grow up kind of fast when you see that because you're not used to it. And it's not, it's not like a normal thing. But for us, it is in our, in our medical or, or first responder world that that is totally normal for us. Yeah, so. it's it's interesting that you're married to a doctor too, because I'm like, you guys, you guys have the same kind of thing. There's no, we, like, she she has her experience with her with what she's seen in her career, and you have yours, and it's it's cool that you could understand each other on that level, you know. Absolutely. So one of our first, real quick, not to go to that, but one of our first dates, she was doing her um, residency at at um, Schneider's Children's Lij uh, out in Queens. That's where she did her residency. Uh, I was going to pick her up. Uh, after work for dinner, we were going to go out. So I went to the, she was doing her ER rotation back then. And uh, I'm waiting for her. She's, oh, come in. I'll be a couple minutes. I said, all right. So I, I come in, I'm sitting down by like the nurse's station. And these two guys walk in, in like suits and they have the badge flipped out. So they're obviously detectives. So I'm like, I didn't think anything of it, but they went into the same room where my, where my then girlfriend was, my now wife. And uh, she comes back out. She goes, listen, uh, uh, you might want to call and make the reservation later. We're going to be delayed for a while. I'm like, all right. So long story short, she had like a child abuse case. Somebody came into the ER. She saw some signs and she mandated reporters. She made a phone call like, hey, no, this is this is no good. And the cops came and the detectives took information. So like, you know, that was all new to me. I didn't know anything about mandated reporter. I'm, you know, I was probably 24 back then, 20, yeah, 24 years old. I'm like, yeah, all right, let's go out to dinner. And then she's, no, I got to do this. And I'm like, what's a mandated reporter? Like, I didn't know any of that because that's not my world. Like, you know, some, some, some same way these people don't know about these batteries, same way I don't know about being a mandated reporter. I'm like, what are you talking about? You have to. So, yes, so from the get-go, from our early, earliest days, like, both our worlds kind of, like, matched together. But, like, I didn't really understand her world. She didn't understand my world. But now we're kind of, you know, even though we're it's, on the same team. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just it's just cool, though, when you have, like, imagine if she was dating a guy that had, like, an office job. It's just not that you can't, you have to be able to vent about, like, really heavy stuff. And it's just Absolutely. easier when someone could understand that level of experience absolutely. at your job you know yes. it's it, it's not like it's just it's not, really it's not lost on you absolutely yeah, not exactly yeah, yeah without, a doubt. without a doubt all right well thank you so much for being here with us today we're definitely going to have you back to talk about 9-11 because that's 
Yeah, my I, I'll have to mentally prepare for that because yeah, I yeah. find, you know how that's another thing we could talk about is just how when you work in in a really heavy field, how you totally compartmentalize things and like shut that part of your brain off. Yeah, absolutely. And I like to think of my husband as like sitting around the table at work and watching TV and eating a lot of like Spanish food. That's that's what he does when he's at work. So I don't like to think about what All he actually stuff. does. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. Next time we talk, we can talk about that. But like uh, we talk about this in Luff and in the FDNY, like we're wired to think that we're in different silos. Like what happens at home happens, at, stays at home. And what happens at work stays at work. And never should those two worlds meet. But uh, reality is that's not the case. Like you get stuck in traffic coming to work or you had a fight with your spouse before you come to work. It's obviously going to impact your work environment because we're human, right? It, that's you carry that with you. Or if you go to a traumatic fire or you deal with some stressful thing at work, when you come home, you know, now you're dealing with the kids and your and your spouse. It's like, it's not going to take that much to kind of, you know, push your buttons because you're already at that elevated level. Even though we like to think we separate stuff, I don't think we're really good at separating stuff. It's kind of... No, no, for sure. <laughs> we bring things I, back and forth. Yeah, and the, the person that's married to you has to really be able to maneuver that the best, right? Absolutely. I'm getting better at it. We've been married almost 10 years now and I'm like, I'm getting yeah. better at it. But yeah, yeah right. it is. It, and he's had a couple really hard days at work that have, have been hard on all of us really for, for months afterwards because. Right. And you feel it when he comes back, you felt it, right? You know, something's not. Yeah. Yeah. Oh so yeah. The, the, two, the work is, stays at work and home stays at home is like, that's not reality. And he has the the task force too. You know, he went oh, to um, Miami when the condo collapsed. He was yes, there yes, for yes, yes. at least a, a couple weeks, if not a month or longer. And when he came home, you know, you have to think, okay, like, well, and I know because with this is what's cool. Like, I know what he just looked at and smelled for the past couple weeks. So oh. I, it, you know, like I'm able to really visualize that how horrible it, it was doing that, you know, whereas an, another person might not understand because they don't know, you know. Absolutely. But but the flip side of that, too, is that you now, I mean, you're used to him being up for 24 hours. And, okay, no problem. We can figure that out. But he's gone for three weeks. That puts all the stress at home on you. Yeah, well, whatever. That's, <laughs> no. But I feel it's, like it's, it's, a, it's a small contribution to society, right, for the work still, he was doing there. <laughs> yeah, but it's not a lot. Of, a lot of spouses don't don't see that sometimes, and it's it's harder on like the marriage too, because it's like, what do you mean you're gonna be gone for three weeks? Like, so it's that's it's good that you are understanding of it. What did they say? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> exactly. It's true. I don't know. That's, a, that's also a problem when I retire. I don't know. I mean, uh, she likes having the bed to herself two nights a week. So <laughs> I know it's like we have this whole other life when Gabe's not home. You know, like we eat like cereal for dinner, and it's just like we Different. like watch. Yeah, we'll eat ice cream in bed and watch like trashy TV shows and. Yeah, it's different. But yeah, when he retired, but he he's never going to retire. Even if he retires as a firefighter, he's getting another job right away because I'm going to make him get another job. Right away. Go crazy, you know. <laughs> I know. I know. Exactly. All right. Well, so great talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nicole. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Mother Knows Death. As a reminder, my training is as a pathologist assistant. I have a master's level education and specialize in anatomy and pathology education. I am not a doctor and I have not diagnosed or treated anyone, dead or alive, without the assistance of a licensed medical doctor. 
This show, my website, and social media accounts are designed to educate and inform people based on my experience working in pathology so they can make healthier decisions regarding their life and well-being. Always remember that science is changing every day and the opinions expressed in this episode are based on my knowledge of those subjects at the time of publication. If you are having a medical problem, have a medical question, or are having a medical emergency, please contact your physician or visit an urgent care center, emergency room, or hospital. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Mother Knows Death on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere you get podcasts. Thanks.